Our guest today is Dr. Kenneth Fader. He's a professor of archaeology at Central Connecticut State University. His primary research interests include archaeology of the native peoples of New England and the analysis of public perception about the human past. He's the founder and director of the Farmington Archaeological Project, an ongoing investigation of the prehistory of the Farmington River Valley. And he's the author and co-author of several books, uh, a few of which I've mentioned on our podcast before, and is a frequent guest on podcasts and documentaries. (laughs) Kathy and I, however, would argue that his most important role has been teaching archaeology to undergrads such as herself way back in the day, uh, and also <laughs> teaching the fraud myth, myths and mysteries class that I took as well. So thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. What else do I have to do on a beautiful, what is it, Thursday? Thursday? Disgusting. <laughs> yeah, it's gross out. So now, where are you guys? You, you guys are in Connecticut. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can block this out, Kathy. Um, after graduating, go. I left the state a couple of times and then came back. Well, but Kathy, is you, you've you been here the whole time, right? I pretty much, except for that time oh, we went right. to Australia, but that wasn't permanent. So. Speaking of Australia, <laughs> when we flew to Australia a couple of years after college, we were so excited to see you on a documentary on the plane as we were flying to Australia. <laughs> That is like wickedly bizarre. That's not I, what's really bizarre is it's not the first time I've heard that. So yeah. I, had, I had a, a colleague who was flying to Germany, and there I was. And he said, "You know, here I am flying the plane, and damn it, there's Fader on the on the uh, you know in-flight <laughs> entertainment." Oh my god! Well, we were delighted. We're Whatever. like, it's Kenny. It's fate that this trip is going to work out okay because there's Kenny letting us know. <laughs> I'd, I'd love to go to Australia. I've never been. Oh, it was amazing. And I, we've been wanting to go back ever since. It was such a great time. And we were there for five months. When did you guys graduate from CCNU? Wow. Oh, my God. We were all babies back then. So, isn't it crazy how none of us look any older than we did back then? I've noticed now that I'm seeing everybody. Like, we all look exactly the same as we did yeah, back then. I, back in. I already looked 69. So, you know, it's, it's you know, flat line after that. Yeah, I was actually in your class on 9 11, and I remember you sending us all home that day to go be with our families. So, that's another story I have with you or oh of you God. that I'm sure you don't remember because, again, I know it was a long time yeah. ago. But wow. That was a weird day. But I do, I know I remember that day yeah. because it, yeah. before class, one of my, one of the majors walked into my office before my 930 class and he was kind of laughing because it was such an embarrassing thing. So some plane just crashed into the World Trade Center. And in my mind, I thought, you know, some private plane, a two seater or whatever, went to class. Yeah. And it wasn't until after that class ended that I got back and everybody had the uh, the big screens in the classrooms in DiLoretto. They had the news on and it was like, what the fuck? Oh my God. Uh, Yeah. That day is kind of, and then, yeah, we had to cancel classes and everybody went home. Yeah. It was, I was in the middle of a genetics class in a genetics lab actually (laughs) when my advisor came in and told uh, the professor that what had happened and told us what happened. And we're like, well, that sounds horrible. And he's like, all right, well, I guess we'll finish our labs so that you can all go and figure out what's going on. 
Uh, and then I went to your class and you sent us home, which we appreciated. Um, our friend Colin that we frequently talk about on this show, who's not on this show, uh, was in that class oh, yeah. too, actually. Yeah. Uplifting note <laughs> to start the episode. <laughs> yeah, I remember when I got when I got back to De Loretto, and at that point mm-hmm. classes had been canceled. I mean, after I canceled our class, the school canceled classes. And I remember a bunch of kids in one of the rooms watching the events transpire like live. And a student who was completely oblivious walked into the classroom expecting to have class there. And they said, no, no, the plane crashed into the World Trade Center. Classes are canceled. And this person did a fist bump like, yeah, all right. Because they only (laughs) cared about the fact that classes had been canceled. Not that, oh, you know, maybe thousands of people yeah, just they didn't, killed. First oh, part just, didn't register, really, yeah. Yeah. Wow. wow. I guess, right? Yep. Yeah. Anyway. Here's the better days. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have, yes. I have better memories, too, <laughs> that I wanted to listen, talk about later, but... Um, we like to our, we like to do, and apparently our listeners also like when we try to de- just like complain about all the really bad science and bad history lessons and stuff that they give on the show. So because one of the characters is an archaeologist, that's why we're like, all right, well, let's get an actual archaeologist on here to get his perspective on what archaeology is really like compared to what this character portrays archaeology as. Thanks. It's just amazing to run into ex students. It's, it's, it's amazing to run into ex-students. I mean, it, sometimes you recognize them, sometimes you don't, who tell all these stories, all of which, by the way, I want your listeners to understand. I deny anything they've ever said, and I'm not even sure what they've said, <laughs> but I deny it. I think it's, deniability is, is an important part of, of uh, I said how much I loved your book, and it helped me when I was traveling. <laughs> oh, then that's okay. If you're, if you're hawking books for me, that's fine. <laughs> that's that's awesome. That's that's really great. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of what I do these days is just is outreach to people and say, hey, look, there are these cool places that you can go and visit for yourself. Uh, and that's like, I'm, I'm psyched about that. In the middle of another book about that. So awesome. But so I'm probably uh, buying that so, one too. <laughs> so what are we talking about today? No, I was just saying that you guys sent me questions, and I promise, I swear, I glanced at them, and then I figured, <laughs> you know what? Let's just talk. They're not hard questions, so no worries. Yeah. <laughs> as long as you're not asking me what the capital of South Dakota is, I have a problem with that one. Absolutely not, because I don't know that either. <laughs> it ain't Bismarck. That's North Dakota. That's North Dakota. Okay. Dakota be? I don't know. I've never been to the Dakotas. It's it, 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 it reads Pierre, but they pronounce it Pierre. Oh, weird. Pierre, okay. North Dakota. Know. Oh, and that, that's from watching a lot of episodes of Where in the World Was Carmen San Diego. I used to love that show. It was such a good show, and the game. Yeah. The game is great too. Yeah, my favorite yeah, thing. Yeah, it's an awesome show. I was always way bad, way worse at the game than my sister was because she was two years older than me, and I was always really jealous about how far, how much farther uh-huh. she could get in the game than I could. <laughs> I mean, she still is two years older than me, but back then it bothered me a lot more. <laughs> Percentage-wise, you're a lot closer now than you were back Very then. Very true. That's, yeah, that's two a, years that's makes a mathematical way less argument. difference now. Oh, yeah. So, um, as we mentioned, one of the main characters in the show is an archaeologist. And we often joke about him because he apparently knows all ancient languages fluently, can read and write like every single ancient language that they come across. Um, he doesn't actually do any real 
digging at any sites. He just visits all of these different alien worlds and helps them to talk to the locals who all speak in English anyway. So we're guessing that's not what real archaeology is like. <laughs> Would you like to explain to our listeners um, what archaeology is? close, but not quite. Not quite, yeah. <laughs> You know, I mean, the the bit about languages is interesting. I think wasn't it? I believe on Star Trek, their kind of blanket explanation was that they had a universal translator that was always right. on translating. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that at least they they said, yeah. okay, here's a technological fix for that. I mean, the truth yeah. of the matter is, there are people who are uh, who are wonderful with languages and know a lot of languages, but it tends to be they know languages within the same language group. My dad was just brilliant with language, but we're talking about romance languages. So he, he could speak French and Italian and Spanish and German, and of course, English. That's all more or less within the same group, mm-hmm. but he was rubbish with Chinese or Japanese or languages that are not in that group in Western Europe. He had no knowledge of whatsoever. Uh, towards the end of his life, he actually learned Egyptian hieroglyphs. And I showed him some Maya hieroglyphs, hieroglyphs from Mesoamerica, from the, the great Maya civilization. And I said, your knowledge of hieroglyphs, Egyptian hieroglyphs, does it help you all with Maya? And he said, absolutely not. Yeah. There, there's no, there's absolutely no connection. So there's no way that knowing one is going to help you with the other. So realistically, the possibility that one person is going to know languages in each of these very, very separate and completely wholly disconnected language groups is well, it's highly unlikely. I, I like the universal translator thing a, le- a lot better, I guess. That does work a lot better. And unfortunately, they don't have one. They just say that everybody speaks both a foreign language and English, even though they've never actually met people from Earth before. So it's just a bizarre concept. Well, that's interesting. So yeah. yeah. Considering especially how difficult English is. It makes it easy for them to do the TV show so you don't have to... Yeah, yeah, exactly. We actually joke, too, because yeah. this um, this character lived on a planet that was based on ancient Egyptian society. And when he came back a year later, he had taught everybody English rather than just speaking their language. So it's a weird show. Well, that made it easier for the viewers of the show, but uh, not realistic. Yes. Yes. Well, you know, I think a lot of science fiction, you have to make those compromises or or just... You're going to be spending all your time with these technical difficulties. Very true. And we know realistically, yeah. like they can't possibly cast a different character for all the roles that they have these people portraying, but it's still fun to make fun of them when they're doing like a bunch of different things that have nothing to do with what their title is supposed to actually be. Like um, right. the, the theoretical astrophysicist, yeah. who's also an expert in like the human immune system and stuff like that. Just uh, As a biologist myself and someone that teaches A&P, like I don't know anything about astrophysics, let alone regular physics. So I can't imagine she knows as much about all science as she supposedly does. We well, you know that the funny thing about that is if you re, if you if you're on Twitter enough, the application of that now is that you'll have people saying, well, I'm a scientist and I don't trust these vaccines. You look at their background. The guy's an engineer. Right. I, you, yes, you a valid better science, science but... but that doesn't mean, you know, hell about immunology or virology or vaccine mm-hmm. manufacturing yeah, exactly. or um, Just because you have the PhD or whatever after your name doesn't make you an expert in every science. Exactly. And I think that's a common misnomer too, that I'm frequently telling my students about like a certain famous 
on TV doctor who is actually a cardiothoracic surgeon, but loves to give all of this advice about miracle cures for weight loss and cancer curing. Right. And you probably know who I'm talking about, but he doesn't have any qualifications to talk about oh, yeah, any yeah. Of that stuff. And when I was a personal trainer, all of my clients no, would be telling exactly. me about this miracle diet or weight loss thing that he had talked about. So they didn't need my help anymore with my, with exercise. They were just going to do his miracle cure instead. And it obviously never ended well. There's some guy on TV now hawking, who I recognize, who will remain nameless, who's hawking some stuff for like for muscle pain, and I think he's a psychologist. Well, if if your if your muscle pains are all uh, psychological, that's fine. But yeah. Otherwise, the guy does as much as I do, and I'm an archaeologist about how to cure muscle pain. Right. Yeah. Some pain is psychosomatic. Most of it's not. So <laughs> he doesn't necessarily know a whole lot about that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, Speaking of different specialties, they frequently refer to, to this character, Daniel, as either an archaeologist or an anthropologist. They tend to use the two terms interchangeably, but they do have different definitions. So would you mind clarifying for our listeners what the real difference is between those two terms? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the funny thing is, I because I've done a, some TV and podcasts and I get blowback from people who believe that the pyramids were built by, uh, the Egyptian pyramids were built by guys from outer space or whatever, or, or lost continent of Atlantis. And I actually got this long, very nasty email from this person saying, and you talk, you, you say all these things about archaeology, but you're not even an archaeologist. It says right here, it, you're in the Department of Anthropology. And it was like, Oh, man, do you not understand how this works? In America, anyway, virtually, I would say 95% of archaeologists working in the New World have degrees in anthropology, because historically, archaeology has been subsumed within the departments of anthropology. The reason for that is we got Europeans coming to the New World, colonizing, encountering Native people. And so... The big questions are, who are these native people? And unfortunately, how can we subjugate them? Uh, can we exploit them? And if you want to know about the native people, well, that's anthropology. But if you want to know about the native people's past, well, that's archaeology. So let's put them both together so that archaeologists, all, all archaeologists, 95% in the new world, are anthropologists. Not all anthropologists are archaeologists. It's that kind of a deal. So there's cultural anthropologists and social anthropologists and physical or biological anthropologists and linguistic anthropologists. And archaeology is the part of anthropology in the new world that focuses on the physical remains, the, the material remains left behind by the people in the past. That's not a hundred, especially in Europe, there are archaeologists who are in classics departments or in history departments. And so it is different elsewhere. But in America, you call somebody an archaeologist, it's, you can almost always take it for granted that their background is in anthropology. And it's one of, used to be four subfields in, in anthropology, uh, cultural anthropology, biological anthropology, linguistics, and archaeology. So again, archaeologists are anthropologists, not all anthropologists are archaeologists. By the way... That, that guy, the guy who criticized me for not being an archaeologist, but I was an anthropologist, um, his it was it was amazing how angry he was simply because I was talking on a, I was I spoke on a, a TV show and said no, actually Egyptians are capable of building pyramids. They didn't need help from extraterrestrials. Um, 
And uh, premise of the show ruined. Oh no! <laughs> just like oh, I don't know, I don't know. But but I do get a lot of emails, a, little, a lot of angry people, angry people out there um, who. Uh, it's, I, I, you can do you guys bleep stuff out because you can bleep this out. Oh, you can swear all you want on this show. It's fine. We swear all the fucking time. It's fine. <laughs> I have a there you go. There you go. Yes, I have a cardinal <laughs> rule, which is if I get an email. And in the subject line, it says shithead, asshole, or motherfucker. I don't respond because they're not looking for a dialogue. It's not like, oh, you you stick up a motherfucker. Why don't we talk about this? I mean, no. Obviously, that's just so the person can vent. But it's when people say, listen, Vader, I think you're deluded or I think you're wrong because blah, blah, blah. Then, okay, then we hope it's open for a conversation. Yeah. Some people just kind of immediately go on the attack and are expecting no response, don't expect you to have a response. And then when you do, they're kind of shocked. I've noticed that in my line of work, too. Like, I won't go into too much detail because that's not what we're here to talk about. But working in fitness, there's so much pseudoscience. And I would get so many angry people. Did you did you hear the the um, the the recording that Arnold Schwarzenegger gave about the the vaccine? I did. It actually was really good. He said, "Is it surprisingly? Look, yeah. Look, if you want to know about biceps, ask me. I'm bodybuilder. <laughs> but if you want to know about vaccines, listen to Dr. Fauci. He knows what he's exactly. talking about. And that exactly. was pretty cool of him to say, "Hey, look, I have this very narrow expertise. You want to know about that? Ask me. But the rest of this other stuff." Find the experts. Find the people right. who know yeah, what, specialties who have studied something. this all their lives and who have worked in this field. Yes. And expertise means something, too. I know? respect these people that say that they want to do their own research. But the reason that we have specialists is because the real research takes years and years of background education to comprehend some of the more nuanced modern things that we're learning about. So you can't expect as a as a layperson to understand everything about all the anatomy and physiology and microbiology and biochemistry that's involved in a vaccine if you don't have right. these years and years of, of background research. That's not to say that somebody's not smart, but that's why we have specialists. That's why we have doctors, because we can't all be experts on everything. Except for Daniel Jackson Daniel and also Jackson. Captain Dr. Samantha Dr. Carter. <laughs> They yeah. are the two experts uh, on everything. I was, I was going to say, you, you can't include in the, in the category of research, you can't include, I read a Wikipedia article or I saw a YouTube. Yeah. Those may be places where you can start, but man, you got to go back to like original sources. Yeah. And if you're not, if you don't want to read the medical literature, you got to learn a lot about the medical medical terminology before you can read that and understand it. But that's what yeah. it takes. Yeah, exactly. And that's actually something I talk to my students a lot about, too, because we also go not over just about the science topics we're covering, but also science skills and like how you can know a good source from a bad one and how you can determine, like differentiate between real science and pseudoscience. Because um, I think a lot of unfortunately, a lot of science classes are missing that, which is why I make sure to include it in all of mine, no matter what subject I'm teaching. That's no, that's that's great. Absolutely. So, um, what else do I have for questions here? More questions. Um, Let me see. More questions. Uh, Oh, actually, speaking of ancient aliens, this entire show is based on the premise that ancient aliens were a thing. Um, So, first of all, how do we know that that actually is not at all true? And what is the harm of people trying to say that we needed those ancient aliens to help us get where we are today? I I know this is about the Stargate thing, but are either of you guys into Star Trek? Yes. Absolutely. The That's original. what got us into sci-fi yeah. to begin with. I'm wearing my isolinear chip ear- earrings. Woo! There you go. 
There you go. Now, this is this is really specific. Do you remember an episode called Who Mourns for Adonis? It sounds familiar. If you don't. I don't know titles really right. very well. I'll probably know it if you explain Here's it. Here's the thing. All right. So this was this was the second year of the original series. And it starts with the Enterprise is, you know, somewhere in outer space. And a giant human hand that looks like an actual hand grabs the Enterprise. And, and of course, the people on board don't know what the hell's going on. And everybody on the flight deck, you know, Kirk and, uh, and, 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 and Sulu and a bunch of these other people, Bones and McCoy, all beam onto this planet that looks like ancient Greece, columns and all. And they encounter this giant guy who's Apollo. He's the Greek god Apollo. And uh, he says that I've been watching you people for a long time and you're finally ready, blah, 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 blah. And at one point when the when he's not listening and uh, Kirk and McCoy and Bones are, are talking about this, Kirk actually brings up the following scenario, which is maybe 5,000 years ago in the Mediterranean, this extraterrestrial species showed up on Earth and the things that they were capable of technologically seemed so powerful and magical that the people imbued those aliens with God. They interpreted them as gods. So that the Greek god Apollo actually wasn't a god. He was an extraterrestrial alien whose technology gave him so much power. There's, there's the old Arthur Clarke quote that I'm going to mangle, which is any, any sufficiently advanced technology will appear to be magic to people who aren't familiar with that technology. Right, yeah. And so here's Star Trek essentially right. arguing the ancient astronauts hypothesis that yeah, I mean, if, if ancient aliens landed on Earth thousands of years ago, their technology would be so advanced that the people of Earth might interpret those folks as being gods. And so today we can learn about th those ancient aliens by looking at ancient religions. And, you know, that's a part of what Eric Von Doniken and George Tsoukalos have always mm -hmm. said. That is, the stories of the gods are actually stories of aliens who landed on Earth. Right. That's exactly so, the premise of this show, too. <laughs> the thing is, is it, so, so this it's not a new thing. It's not a new deal. Right. This is something that's been going that's that has been at least considered by lots of other people and incorporated into fiction, of course. Now, Star Trek is a documentary, by the way. It's not fiction. That that all that stuff really happened, oh, no. right? We lost Kenny. Oh, Kenny's back. Okay, that's we lost you for a second. <laughs> anyway, everything's frozen, but I'll keep that's all right. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm back. You guys back, I'm back. You're back. Uh, the, the fundamental underpinning assumption in so much of ancient aliens, ancient astronauts, is the, the notion that human beings, that the archaeological record reflects technologies that were far beyond the capability of primitive ancient people to have concocted all by themselves. That's why I talk about in my frauds book, which is Oxford University Press. You can get it on Amazon. I talk about that Great notion book. is sort of like, like the ancient aliens were an extraterrestrial peace corps. There you go. Frauds, myths, and mysteries. 
So it's it's this idea that ancient human beings were backwards and and primitive and not terribly bright. But the the Peace Corps arrives, these aliens, they say, you know what, folks, we're going to teach you agriculture and architecture and math and calendars and writing systems and metallurgy and on and on and on. And that's going to shoot you ahead in in terms of evolution, cultural evolution uh, by millennia. And that's and so people look at the the pyramids of Egypt. They look at the, the Maya calendar. They look at. The, the amazing agricultural productivity of even the earliest agriculturalists 10,000 years ago say, I don't think human beings could have on their own developed those technologies and skills. They must have a source from somewhere else. You know, that's always been a problem in archaeology and in history. This notion that, well, and not as extreme, maybe, well, most people are like that. But the Greeks weren't, so everybody learned from the Greeks. Or most people were dull and uninventive, but Egyptians, though, they figured it all out, and their ideas spread everywhere. Even the, the Atlantis story, which is completely made up by Plato, there's no truth or validity to it. It's made up. It is a, it's a great story. It's a great tale, but he made it up for a purpose and practically tells us that he made it up. Mm-hmm. But anyway, and please, dear God, nobody nobody emailed me saying, yeah, but Plato said it was a real story. Hell, he did not. A character <laughs> in a dialogue, he put the words in that person's mouth. But I mean, that's the equivalent of saying, um, you know, if you've watched the old, All in the Family, Archie Bunker was this racist, homophobe, misogynist. That show was produced by some of the most liberal and, and progressive people in all of Hollywood. They didn't believe that. They put those words in the mouths of a character. That's what Plato did. Mm-hmm. But the idea here, again, with, with Atlantis, at least as it, as it evolved, was, well, most people are dull and inventive. And how did people all over the world figure out agriculture and writing and mathematics? It must be they got it from Atlantis. Atlantis was the source. Um, the, the word, the term that's used in both in history and cultural geography and archaeology is diffusionism. That is the claim that really very few people are very smart and that their great genius then moves out or diffuses uh, to the rest of the world. And that's, we categorically know that's not true because in the archaeological record of lots of places, we see the, the very, very predictable kind of steps one on top of the other, this slow evolution of these skills and development. You look at ancient Egypt, Egyptians didn't one day get like blueprints for building pyramids, right? Egyptians slowly over hundreds of years began putting rocks together, piling them up and making mistakes. The archaeological record is filled with trial and error. These technologies don't appear overnight. They appear over a very long period of time. And there's clear evidence of steps and starts, trial and error, terrible mistakes. It was probably 100 years between the very first pyramid and the Great Pyramid, the big one that's over 400 feet tall, that's the Pharaoh Khufu's burial chamber. And there are, we can see collapsed pyramids. Right. We can see pyramids that are bent, pyramids that where the angles are all wrong. And it was back to the drawing board. Okay, we made a mistake. Let's make the angle less severe. Let's use, instead of bricks, let's use rocks. So that's slow. That's not what you would expect. 
at all if this technology was brought in wholesale. Okay, Egyptians, we're going to teach you to build pyramids. Um, my, one of my favorites is, if you guys are familiar with the Nazca Lines, this is in South yes. America, way high yep. up in the Altiplano, up, up way uh, high elevation. And there are these lines etched in the desert, and some of them are animals. That, like, it's on my bucket list to go to. Oh, my God, right? Spiders and monkeys. And you'll hear people say, people couldn't have done that because they, 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 they you would have needed uh, technology to bring you up in the air to look down on the ground. Otherwise, you couldn't have done that. Well, the first, I think before you even deal with that, my first question is, wait a minute. So extraterrestrial aliens who have beat the whole uh, uh, speed of light thing, so they can travel across the universe, they come to Earth, and what do they teach people to do? To etch giant monkeys in the desert of South America? What, what in the world is that about? Um, it's just, if you, if when you look at these things in any kind of depth, they just don't make any sense. And we don't need aliens teaching people how to do stuff because the archaeological record shows really clearly people are smart. People figure stuff out and people are fully capable of, of experimenting and learning from their mistakes and being better the next time, which is what the archaeological record shows with virtually every technology. I, uh, I visited the Serpent Mounds recently. Speaking of that, reminded me of the fact that I went to the Serpent Mounds and in your Archaeological Oddities book, you had said something really similar, like, why would these people that came all the way here from outer space build mounds that look like a snake, which is an earth creature, in order to give themselves some place to land when you, as you said, people in that area were already building mounds at that point in time. And I actually visited a bunch of the other mounds that yeah, were out it's, there. It just, it's Ohio is an incredibly cool place. When I first went to Ohio, I was teaching at Central and it was like spring break. And I was going to Ohio to see these incredible Native American mounds. And of course, students of mine were like, they were going to Virginia Beach and they were going to Disney World. And they said, Dr. Frader, where are you going? Most of them called me Kenny, which is great. So Kenny, where are you going for spring break? And I said, Ohio. And they kind of looked at me with pity. Oh, do you have to go there? Do you have like relatives there? Oh no, I'm doing this. It's my choice. And I think they thought I was totally demented. But yes, Ohio, the Midwest is great yeah. for these these mounds. And again, with in the case of these mounds, we see a very nice sequence of smaller going to bigger, going to more elaborate, more complex, requiring more labor, because that's how human beings develop technology. They come up with a cool idea and they experiment. I, I tell my students, I, I show my, I've, I've, I have in class shown students, I've stopped doing it, uh, a picture of a series of iPods when, when everybody had an iPod and looking at the first iPod, which was like a 40 gigabyte little physical hard drive with a little black and white screen. And again, and that's, that was over a series of years when that, the technology got better. They replaced the physical drive with, with a solid state drive. There was a color screen. That screen got bigger. The, the, uh, the amount of memory, the number of songs you could hold got larger and larger. I said, yeah, that's how technology works today. It's how it worked thousands of years ago. Exactly. They weren't any less smart than we are now. They just didn't have the same technology to build upon that that we have and the reason we have technology that now that we have is because we built on the technology that they developed they were just as smart as we were but i think a lot of people don't like to give them that credit yeah i i think actually there's an argument that can be made that people 
the anatomically modern human beings who've been around for a couple of hundred, maybe 300,000 years, that in the past had to be more clever than we have to be today because they yeah. had to figure stuff out as opposed to, well, I'll call the geek squad at Blockbuster and they can solve it. There was no geek squad right. when you were trying to figure out how to half that spear onto that shaft. You either did it successfully or you, you didn't eat that day. And so the, the, the motivation to, to, to improve technology and the, the, the pressure to do that probably was greater in the past. And their brains are anatomically, we're looking again, again at maybe 300,000 years now, brains that look just like ours. That if you did an MRI, yeah, you brought one of these guys into the, into the present, did an MRI, that you wouldn't notice anything different about their brain than you would if you did it to a modern human being. Uh, what is my next question? Um, oh, actually, this one is a request from our friend Colin. Um, and it actually kind of has to do with what we were talking about before, uh, because we, we've been saying that it's important to get the right specialist to do the right thing. So do you mind sharing your story with us about what happened when the dinosaur footprints were discovered at West Farms Mall and you were being contacted as an archaeologist to yeah. comment on something that was supposed to be commented on, you know, that they should have been contacting by a paleontologist for? Yeah, that's I mean, it's, it's a great story. It's years and years and years ago. So the context is. I do an archaeology field school. I, I have done almost every summer, every, every other summer. And very often, very frequently for like a human interest story, our dig would get covered by the newspaper or by television news. So they'd send somebody out there. They'd film us showing, you know, the kinds of artifacts you're finding. All good fun. And so one summer, there was a guy from the Hartford Current who followed me around for a couple of a couple of days and wrote a really nice piece about the archaeology that we were doing in the Farmington River, the Farmington River Archaeological Project. And so now, you know, we part ways. Months later, months later, uh, I get a call from this guy and he tells me, Kenny, I need your expertise. I'm on deadline here. And it was I, it was it was later in the day. But he needed a story for the next day. He said, and, you know, you're in my, my, my Rolodex. At that point, it probably was a Rolodex. As the guy who knows about old stuff. And he told me that it was West Farms Mall, which is in, what it's in like in Farmington and West Hartford and Newington. So it's a big mall. And they're real, uh, next door to West Farms Mall, they were building another plaza. And they found dinosaur footprints. The current found out about it. And they told this guy, well, you know, that archaeology guy, ask him for a quote, you know. And so he called me and I said, look, here's the deal. Uh, archaeology is the study of the material remains of human beings. Human beings and dinosaurs are separated by 65 million years. The last of the dinosaurs died off uh, 65 million years ago. And so the person you would like to talk to is not an archaeologist, but a paleontologist or even a geologist would probably be much more fluent about this stuff than, than I am. And he respond, his response was, yeah, but, but you study the past. I go, well, yeah, lots of people study the past. Archaeologists study the past. Historians study the past. Geologists. But I don't know about dinosaurs. I, I, when I was a kid growing up, loved dinosaurs, loved the dinosaurs, loved me some dinosaurs. I actually tracked down a photograph of me when I was six years old, 1958, in front of the big Tyrannosaurus Rex skeleton at the American Museum of Natural History in New York. So there's little Kenny, this tall, 
just pose it for the dinosaur. So I've I always loved dinosaurs. Yeah, they're great. I love them too. But I was trying to explain this <laughs> yeah. guy. Here, here's a phone number of the state geologist. Call him. He'll give you a much more nuanced and intelligent response. And the guy said, I, I, this is one of those instances in which I so, should have stuck to my guns, but I didn't. He said, Kenny, you're my only, my only option here. Give me something I can go with. And I literally just said, oh, come on. <laughs> yeah, dinosaur footprints, they're, they're really neat. Yeah, they're great. They're wonderful. <laughs> and and yeah, you can learn a lot about, you know, dinosaurs walking. You can learn a lot about their feet. But, but please, dear God, <laughs> find an expert. He said, thank you very much, Kenny. God damn it, the next day in the newspaper, I'm quoted. Archaeologist Ken Fader says about the dinosaur footprints, that's real. They're, they're really neat. I said, oh, my God. State geologist ran into me about six months later. He put his arm on my shoulder and said, Kenny? So any neat stories about dinosaur footprints lately? I said, I swear. I told the guy to call you. I don't know. Um, but the funny thing is, I will still see, I've, you know, I'm on Twitter a bunch, and I will still see archaeologists posting pictures of kids' toys or cartoons or God knows what else in which archaeologists are studying dinosaurs. And it's like, dinosaurs are neat, but please, I don't, uh, you know, I, I, they're, they're big. <laughs> That's that. That's my expertise. But it still, it still is a point where archaeology and paleontology sort of get mixed up all the time. Yeah, absolutely. I had one more question here, at least. And then Kathy has a question for sure. I don't have a question. You don't have a question? I don't have a question. Yes, you do. I'll ask your question. No, I really do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, a question I wanted to ask, but you've actually kind of already answered it, is if there's any sci-fi, because I know you said you don't watch Stargate, and I was going to ask if there's any sci-fi that you really do love. So it sounds like you're a big Star Trek fan like we are. Are there any other kinds of sci-fi that you're really into? Yeah. I here I'm gonna be I'll be here's I'm gonna be honest with you. If I if I put on my science hat and just look at Star Trek from an objective perspective, it's not really very good. I'm sorry. It's not, but we still but love I it. but I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of that has to do with you know, man, what was it? What, how old was I when it when it started? Like ten or eleven? And so I have this great nostalgia for it. Um, so I love Star Trek. You know what? I, maybe you guys are, are. Are you guys brown shirts? I am a yeah. huge Firefly. I fan. do like Firefly. Yeah. I'm actually not as big of a fan of it as Kathy. I've only seen it like once, all the way through. But uh, it's great. I, Kathy, you and me, man. I think it's amazing because it's so contrary to expectation. It's it's a western, but yeah. it's a western in outer space. So, and I love all the characters. Loved Firefly. Love me some Firefly. I mean, Star Wars again. It's it's a it's a space opera. The stories are not spectacular, really. And you know, it, Star Wars is one of those things. It's it's a peeve I have when when movies or books have sequels where clearly the person wasn't expecting to make a sequel, and so now they kind of have to back engineer parts of the story, like. You know, I'm sorry, folks, if you watch the originally released uh, Star Wars, there's no freaking way Darth Vader is Luke's father. He's not. <laughs> but since they decided later on, oh, we're going to make it that way. OK, yeah. well, they clearly were not meant to be siblings in the first back. movie either. No. <laughs> <laughs> 
this kind of passionately, don't they? Uh, so they the like, original. We're supposed to go back and watch it. And go, Ew, that? that's your sister. Yeah, I'm saying we're supposed to go back and <laughs> exactly. watch that where they kissed. Yeah. Go, oh, that's your brother. That's your sister. But but you know but yeah cool I like it fine I like it good enough. Um, I like you know what I liked a lot was the although it wasn't quite true to Asimov's stories I liked I Robot with Will Smith I thought that was a great okay. movie. Um, I, mean, I I genuinely enjoy science fiction and fantasy. Uh, oh oh oh. Ursula Le Guin. Do you guys, are you guys familiar with Ursula Le Guin? Mm-mm. A little bit. Here's the deal. And this is for all you young anthropologists out there. Ursula Le Guin was the daughter of Alfred and Theodora Krober, who were like the founders of American anthropology. Oh. Wow. So when Ursula Le Guin was a little girl, she grew up on like the Navajo reservation because her dad was doing research there. She grew up on a number of Native American. I, I believe she spent a bunch of time on a bunch of, of reservations. And I think that really informed her science fiction because, in other words, she was familiar with alien cultures, alien from a Western American perspective. And there's a lot of that in her writing. For everybody out there, it's a great book, but if you don't want to read the book, there is there's um, an old PBS version um, uh, dramatization of the book. It's called The Lathe of Heaven, and it's amazing. It is, and it's by Ursula Le Guin, and it's an amazing story. Please, uh, uh, Mary, Kathy, take forty minutes out of your day and find on YouTube the the PBS nineteen. 19- 80 it's it's pbs it's the original dramatization of the lathe of heaven and it's not to no spoilers here but it's about a guy who figures out he dreams effectively so that when he goes to sleep at night and dreams what he dreams it's not just that it becomes true the next day it's that the world changes but nobody else knows it for them, the world has always been that way. And a psychologist, a psychiatrist with a great, with power hungry psychiatrist decides that he's going to, he finally is convinced that this guy's, that it's real. That this guy, that when this guy goes to sleep at night, everybody goes to sleep, they wake up. The next day, the world is different, but he's the only one who knows it. He knows he dreamt that. And the psychiatrist decides he's going to have him alter the world to make him wealthy and powerful. It's a really cool idea. And she's, uh, I, I love stuff. The word the word for world is forest. Do you guys, um, was, that was that movie Avatar? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Avatar, we actually, right? um, the, we were just real- reviewing an episode that has almost the same plot as Avatar, even though it actually came out years before Avatar did. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you read The Word for World is Forest by Ursula Le Guin, uh, the people who wrote the script for Avatar must have read read that book because it's there's there's some key stuff in there that really sounds very familiar. And again, that's Le Guin. She's great. Love her. Loved her stuff. And there are a couple of interviews I've seen of her. She's just brilliant woman, a great writer. And you know, and for my money, you know, Bradbury and Asimov and Arthur Clarke. Yeah, I loved all those guys. Awesome. A lot of our fans are so, yeah, Star Trek like fans. Sci-fi. So 
on their behalf, I do have to ask if you could clarify your statement about Star Trek not being very good. Did you just mean the original series, which I would agree with, or did you mean anything more recent than that? Again, I'm just asking for our Star Trek. No, the, I'm talking about the original. The, it's the okay. original series that, if you really look at, yeah. I you love know, it because of the nostalgia, Kirk, but it's bad. But the roles of women. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Kirk is like a dick, and women are are clearly. Well, come on, man. We've got this hugely advanced culture. These women are still like 1950s or something in terms of their roles. So yeah, it got, isn't that, that's, I'm, I'm going to misstate this. Maybe you guys can clarify it, that in the original idea for Star Trek and maybe in the pilot, uh, the, the, the captain's number two was a woman. I've only seen the pilot once. I don't remember sure that actually might that, be the case. Uh, I think. I think that's true, and in the they're doing a the newer ver- she is Star a woman Trek is in the also remake. going yeah. to be a woman in the yeah right, right. yeah yeah they've made so many extra se- like there's that. a ton of new Star Trek coming out now too which which I really love the new stuff um, and I love all the other series TNG and just Disco- uh, just uh, wow my brain Voyager, Voyager there you go also yes, but <laughs> I think pretty much everything is better than the oh, original yeah. series I was, I, I was I have this 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 amazing this very nostalgic memory when I was in grad school at UConn in the mid nineteen seventies, and I go out on a dig and I'd be gone all day and I return home in the evening uh, to this this complex. It was really crappy apartments that was lived in by all grad students, and there were no air there was no air conditioning, so everybody had their windows open. And on some channel, and it was reruns. If you could, you would. If you pulled into the parking lot at exactly the right time, you would hear the opening theme to the original Star Trek echoing through the complex because everybody had their windows open, and it was like because it was a big complex. It was actually because of the the speed of sound is not instant. You would hear it like echoing across the the the, the, the opening uh, monologue <laughs> and the the music. You know. I'm home. Star Trek is on. So don't get me wrong. Love the original, but you know, it is not great science fiction. One of the reasons for that, by the way, is that they didn't have, it's not like in the twilight zone, Serling had a a set, like a stable of really good writers who were constantly feeding him stories. My understanding with Star Trek is a lot of that stuff was just spec people who, really weren't great authors and weren't great heavy into sci-fi didn't have a, a big background in sci-fi would just submit stuff and they go yeah that's a that's a great story um and then there's the whole story harlan ellison who is a really strange guy hard guy to, to understand but a brilliant writer uh, did the the one city on the edge of forever in which what is it kirk falls in love with a woman who's got to die or the nazis will actually uh uh, yeah, pers- will prevail. She's like destined. Yeah. yeah, she's destined to die. They have to let her die, or else it messes with the timeline. Yeah, right. And and although Harlan Ellison sued them because he wasn't happy with the changes they made to fit it into like a one hour episode, I mean, he's a brilliant writer. So it, it wasn't universally terrible, but there are a lot of stories where you just go, oh come on, it's it was too 1950s 1960s politics for you know the 22nd century or whatever whatever it's supposed to be. But don't, you know, but I'll still, Star Trek, I still, I have the entire set of DVDs in little cases, each each set of however many DVDs in little cases that look like the Star Trek emblem. And 
Can you see my shirt, damn it? It's a, wait a minute. Those are all, those nice. all Star Trek. Various. Uh, awesome. You know. Cassie has also nice. got a Star Trek shirt so, on. I'm left out over here. Thank you. It's an unauthorized. Well, I, I, if I tell you that Star Trek is bad, I'm, I'm just being a hypocrite. So pay no attention to me. Pay no attention to the man behind the Star Trek shirt. Um, so Kathy's question, the last question that I have, um, is she would like to know why two decades or so ago, she got a B on her final archaeology paper instead of an A. <laughs> that oh, was a tongue in cheek Kathy, you question. want to know why you got a B? Yes. <laughs> you want, you know, no, no, I'll be honest. I'll be honest. Cause I remember it completely. <laughs> I remember everybody I've read. You got, you got a B because I was feeling Super generous that day because really it was like a C minus. That sounds about right. You should know better than to ask me that question, you know. Ah, uh, that's a great answer. <laughs> Sorry, Kat. Now, by the way, that's not true. Oh, no. I don't remember why she. I don't. E- I barely <laughs> even remember. So. I, I mentioned that I barely remember my students from like one or two semesters ago, let yeah. alone uh, many years ago. So. <laughs> I, mean, I didn't expect that you would remember either of us and definitely not why any of us got any no. of the grades we did. <laughs> it was not a genuine question. It was tongue in cheek. Oh, no. I, hey, it was a joke. My answer was a joke. It's yeah. all good. Don't worry about it. Because now I'm going to go back into the uh, records and see oh, yeah. what the hell is she bitching about. <laughs> I can still change that grade, Kathy. Oh, I good. <laughs> it's going to have a huge impact on my future, I think. Yeah, I bet you get a raise, though. So. No kidding, yeah. right? It goes on your permanent record. <laughs> yes. I um, I actually remember that final project myself. I'll share my story about it because this is my last fun story that I wanted to share. That was the um, the cemetery project. And my aunt was actually, oh, yeah. my aunt was actually um, on the board of directors for a particular cemetery in the town where a lot of my family members lived for many generations. And she took me on a tour through that cemetery. And that's what I did for that project. And so it was a really special day with my aunt. Uh, learning about a lot about my family that I hadn't known before. And so if you hadn't assigned that project, I wouldn't have had that opportunity or probably wouldn't have even done that with her ever. Um, and it's a great memory that I have. She was a wonderful person. And unfortunately, she passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, but now she's joined all my other ancestors in that same cemetery. So that's uh, just a really special memory that I have now. And I thank you for that, actually. Yeah. Uh, that, you're welcome. That, I, I did that project. I've done that project forever. And yeah, usually at the at the first people, why are we going into an old cemetery? And I said, look, gravestones are artifacts and we can study them the way we study spear points or pots. Only we also have writing. We can we can read what's on those. And it's amazing how many people at the end of the project say, you know, at first I thought, oh, God, and I thought there's some really interesting stuff there. Uh, here's this is my worst story, but I did not succumb to my usual terrible sense of humor i had a kid it was the end of the semester and they hadn't gone to a cemetery yet and they were planning like that weekend to go but in fact it was like his great aunt had died and he had to go to the funeral and in the back of my mind i i'm gonna say well two birds with one stone yeah yeah (laughs) you know Go to your aunt's funeral and walk around. <laughs> Take some data. I didn't. I did not suggest that though. That would have been, I think, rude. Might have been a little bit. <laughs> but to this day, but it would have made sense. To this day, I still, 
I will still drive around and say, oh, an old cemetery, and I'll stop and walk around. And it's always with respect. This is a respectful visit mm-hmm. that those folks are there. They're ignored unless somebody comes and reads their story. Those are biographies of people who uh, that's, in, in many cases, that's all you're ever going to know about that person is what it says on their gravestone who they were and who loved them and, and what their philosophy was and and who they were married to or who their kids were or who their parents were. And it's 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 revelatory and it's and you see four kids in one family who all died in the same mm-hmm. year from the same disease. And it's 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 you know you tell students, hey look, we have had pandemics and epidemics before and look at what happened because we didn't have the technology to, to respond to that. We didn't have the medical technology. And look, people losing their entire family over a very short period of time. Just be grateful and be thankful that we've got really good epidemiologists and virologists and, and medical scientists and doctors who, man, in, in, almost, in, light, in lightning speed, uh, developed this vaccine. And I've, I've, I've got on my calendar right now, shot number three in November. Yay. Because I don't want that. I don't want it. No, I don't want vaccines that, are great. That, everyone should get vaccines. Thing. I uh, Everyone knows my opinion on our podcast. Everyone knows my opinion on vaccines. I tell everyone <laughs> my opinion on vaccines. They're great. Everyone should get them uh, unless you talk to your doctor and they have a reason not to, which is incredibly rare. Yes. Right. I saw a meme recently on Twitter and it was a shot of, it was what is it called? Out of context Star Trek. And <laughs> I love that feed. Uh, yeah. Kirk with his shirt ripped. And there's Bones giving him a vaccine saying, get your damn vaccine. <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, if that helps anybody over that hump, gold. Absolutely. Yeah. I very much agree. Um, Kathy, did you have anything else you wanted to ask? I know you said Atlantis doesn't exist, but have you considered that it is a city-sized spaceship uh, in a different galaxy under the sea? That's a good question. That started on Earth. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I've never actually considered that. You might have it's just changed pre- his life remember, by asking. Remember that, that. B? Remember that B I gave him <laughs> on that project? I'm gonna have to go back and look at that real careful. It was. It's the. It's basically the premise of the second Stargate series. Atlantis is called. So that's why I asked. But <laughs> hey, you know, it, it's. I'm really okay with the fact that the story that Plato wrote 2,400 years ago, or whatever it is, has inspired people. So that's a cool idea. What if there were this super sophisticated, a very powerful, very wealthy um, civilization out there? What would what would, if it had been in the past or in the future or another planet? What would that mean? What would that be? Uh, can I can I can I give you my my Atlantis Star Wars analogy? Absolutely, yes. All right. So here's the deal. So I, I walk into class. This is probably after you, after you guys graduated. So I walk into class. I look at everybody. I'm going to tell you a story. A uh, long, long time ago, far away, a great and very powerful empire developed. And they were economically very wealthy. They were militarily very powerful and technologically extremely sophisticated. And they had in their minds the desire to, to control the universe that they knew about. And there was only one thing standing in their way, and that was a small ragtag group 
of people who were not economically wealthy, who were not militarily powerful, who were not technologically sophisticated, but they had something more important going for them. They had goodness and righteousness. They were living a good life. They had, oh, I don't know what we call it. They had like the, some force behind them. And I asked students, what is that story? And they go, well, that's Star Wars. And I go, I wasn't talking about Star Wars at all. That's the story that Plato tells about Atlantis. Atlantis is the evil empire. <laughs> Ancient Athens is the rebels. And the force means they're, they're living the perfect way of life as Plato laid it out in a previous dialogue called the Republic. And, you know, it's a really good match. And uh, so much so that people have kind of ripped me off on that. But whatever. But that's, that's I think that, that helps. I think when I would tell that story, I think it helps students go, oh, so it's like a made-up story. Yeah, you got it. It's a made-up story, just like uh, Star Wars. Yes. <laughs> Although there are people saying Star Wars really happened, they're, just, they're softening us up to let us know the the truth. Yeah, I uh, like didn't in the UK like uh, maybe a decade or so back. I think they actually got the Force to be recognized as an official religion. I don't know that they call it the Force, but it's something Seriously? along those lines, based on the Force, and they have officially recognized it in the in as a religion. I believe in specifically in the UK. I don't know that it's been anywhere else that they've done it, but yeah, that, that would actually happen. Oh my God. That, I don't know why, but that reminds me of, there are a couple of States where I think really and for true Sasquatch is an, is an endangered species. And if you shoot one, you're guilty yeah, I of think a crime. I think it's Washington might be Oregon, but I think, yeah, exactly. I've heard that too, which uh, I think is okay. pretty, pretty entertaining also. <laughs> uh, yeah, good times. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to ask us about while we're all here? <laughs> I mean, this, it, this is, I'll, I will ask a question, but I'll say this is really great reconnecting with you guys that you guys remembered me. And, and not to like report me to the authorities, but actually to invite me onto <laughs> your podcast. I'm sorry if there were technical issues. It happens. It seems to be the case here. Yeah. We, are, we have a lousy signal. But we do what we can. Um, uh, thank you so much for inviting me on the show. I had a blast. And I will. I have to. Um, I have your email address. I will send you. I forgot mm -hmm. to. A copy of the uh the discounts for a couple of my books. So people, if you're interested in the stuff, I, I got 30% or something. Yeah. 30% awesome. discount directly from the awesome. publisher. That's really cool. I'm so sure. I will do that I'll, like take today. <laughs> I'll take advantage of that for sure. Cause <laughs> yeah. there's more books that I want. I have a couple here. Is there anything specific that you're working on or that you'd like to plug before we let you go? Last question. You said you're working on a new book or um, any other books that yeah, you want to you know that, that as of, Sure. Well, as of as of 2019, I actually am now a professor emeritus. So I've okay. taught there for 40 years. So now I'm not teaching anymore, but I'm still writing. So I am currently working on a book on um, which my publisher, for some reason, will not allow me to name National Parkeology. <laughs> but it's 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 the archaeology of national parks and national monuments, great places that you can go. <laughs> To visit. That's Isn't that great. A great word? You, so I'm, I'm you not need to call it that. That actually was supposed to be out already, but because of because of the the pandemic, there were places that I had to yeah. wanted to visit, couldn't incorporate it. So we're working on that, and and now I'm I'm also working on a popular book for Princeton University Press is doing a series of popularly oriented archaeology books. There's one on the Maya and one on I think the megaliths, and I'm doing North America, so I've yes. got to get run, get going on that. And uh, 
And now my uh, my my side gig. It's not a side gig, but it's it's one of my hobbies. Is I'm a real Sherlock Holmes fan, so I've read all the books, all the stories, books, uh, four books, and and fifty six short stories like multiple times. And I've seen all the movies from the 1930s and 40s, and of course the uh, the Granada series with uh, with Jeremy Brent was just fantastic. Uh, let's not even talk about the Sherlock TV show. <laughs> Better to come back is wonderful, but it's not the original stuff. And so I've actually, uh, this is embarrassing almost to admit, but I'm, I'm actually, I've actually written a Sherlock Holmes story, which I'm thinking it's important. Just kind of publishing my own self through, uh, through uh, Amazon, through you know one of awesome. one of those self publishing things. Just, awesome. just because it's, it's a hell of a lot of fun, and it keeps you know writing keeps me out of trouble. So that's those are my projects right now. That's awesome. Very, Very interesting. Cool. I'll be keeping an eye out for that book too. Yeah. It froze a little bit. There we go. <laughs> Chaos happens. Well, right, well, we've taken up your time for over an hour, so I'm not going to keep you any longer, but thank you so much for joining us today. I know I had a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, thank you. Yeah. Oh, I hope you have a great you. rest of your day. Had a blast. Thank you so much for inviting uh, me on. And again, everybody should go out and buy copies of uh, Ancient America, 50 Archaeological Sites You Can See For Yourself, or Archaeological Absolutely. Oddities. I very much agree, because I have both of those, okay. and they're both great, and I've been using both of them to see a lot of cool stuff. Coolio. So what is next for us then? Next is Stargate SG-1 Season 2 Episode 16, A Matter of Time. And we've got one. While attempting to save SG-10 from a black hole, the SG-1 team activates the Stargate and exposes themselves to the hole's gravitational pull. Yes. Oops. Or a black hole swallows the SG-10 team and O'Neill is sent on a rescue mission. But the hole's gravitational pull grows stronger, drawing the Stargate toward it and soon threatening to destroy Earth. Will O'Neill find a way to stop this super destructive force? He doesn't. End of End of series. Again. (laughs) End. The end. Yep. Time for Atlantis. (laughs) Woo! Don't know... Yeah, no. anything you know. I was just gonna say, you know, Atlantis will just start. We won't have any reason to understand what's going on at all, but that's fine. Yeah, nope. We'll have no backstory on nope. any characters or anything that we get in yeah. uh, in SG One <laughs> later on. As always, thanks for listening. Make sure that you subscribe to us on your podcatcher of choice if you haven't already done so, so that you can get all of our episodes as soon as they are released every Monday. You can also find us on YouTube, where this entire interview will be posted with video. Reviews and likes are greatly appreciated to help others find the podcast, and word of mouth is appreciated as well, since that also helps people find the podcast to tell your friends. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and especially if you'd like any of those discounts on Kenny's books, please email us at stargatesing at gmail.com. I won't be posting that uh, to our Twitter feed or any place public, but I will provide those to anybody that emails us, again, stargatesing at gmail.com. And of course, you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at stargatesing. If you're feeling generous and would like to help support the show and would like access to free donor bonus episodes, such as our outtakes episodes or our Stargate Origins episodes, you can find us on patreon.com slash stargatesing. And as always, you can check out our website at stargatesing.space. I'm Mary. You've also been listening to Kathy and Dr. Kenneth Fader, a.k.a. Kenny. I deny anything they've ever said. And this has been Stargatesing.
The end. Okay.